Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan with Brandon Pillar, Chris Parliament. We've got the whole crew here, and we are continuing with our ranking of the depth chart in the Ottawa Senators system. And today, it's the left wingers with the crown jewel, probably the number one player in the entire organization. How do the pieces fall in place beyond that? We'll sort them into tiers and much, much more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Today is Monday, July 20th. A week tomorrow, the NHL will begin the exhibition calendar. It'll only last two days. Everyone gets one game, but Pilsy, it looks like this is actually going to happen. Hallelujah, we're getting hockey back and. We're getting closer and closer and closer, and now we can count down the days on less than two hands. That's exciting, and some of these play-in series are going to be just incredible. I mean, to be honest, I haven't really got excited about uh, the exhibition calendar. I've got my eyes focused on the play-in series, but just to have some live hockey back is going to be an absolute treat. And Parley, it's really good to see that the numbers in terms of testing are up and the positive results basically none. Yeah, if you're looking at the 2,618 tests done since formal training camps opened, two positive results. I'm not a math wizard, but I'm pretty sure that's less than 1%. It's way less than 1%. And what the NHL's done, sure, they've created a bit of confusion around the league with players coming in and out, as you would usually see during a regular training camp, but just with the term unfit to play. We know in Boston there was a big stir because... David Pasternak and Andre Cache, the two Czech buddies, they went out for a public skate. And because they were on the ice with fans, basically just the general public, they were told to stay away for for the first week of camp. So uh, that obviously caused a little bit of drama surrounding the Bruins, but it seems like everything's all good there. And those two players we should mention are in quarantine, which is where the rest of the NHL will be on Sunday when everyone enters the two bubbles. Now we had... Gord Miller on uh, Leafs Lunch today, he's obviously a part of NBC's coverage, which uh, they'll have the States, Sportsnet up here in Canada as the rights holders to the NHL. So he'll actually be in the bubble. And for anyone familiar with Toronto, the heart of enemy territory where we're recording from, the Royal York's pretty neat in terms of its accessibility to the rink pills. They don't even have to go outside. Yeah, the uh, I'm a directionally challenged guy, so I don't spend a lot of time in what's called the path in Toronto. It's underground. Um, Google Maps doesn't work down there, so I don't go down there because I get lost real easy. But if you're a savvy uh, city veteran and you know the path really well, it's incredible, especially in the winter. There's people who they don't even have to go outside. They can go right from their condo right to work all through the path. And for times like these where you need kind of safe, uh, ways to get places without too many other people mingling in uh, like TTC or um, walking or anything where you're going to be in contact with other people. This is a great way to ensure that only certain people can use the path and they can get right from the hotel to the arena. So that's one of the kind of hidden gems about Toronto that makes this uh, a perfect place for a hub city for a quarantine uh, league and the COVID times that we're in. 
Of course, we can't really touch much on Edmonton, but the other hotel being used in Toronto, Hotel X, considering it's basically right downtown, it's over by Exhibition Place, it's as isolated as as a hotel can be. There's no neighbors to it. It has land on all sides, so there won't be much of a worry there either. So as long as these players can get themselves into the bubble, I think we're home free, guys. And us on the Locked On Senators podcast, we're going to be previewing these series, probably two series per show uh, over the next week, starting next Monday after we finish our rankings. We'll get in momentarily to the left wings, and we still have centermen and right wingers to do. Of course, you can go back and listen. We've already done the defensemen. We've already done the goalies. You know that was first as a goalie-friendly show. But what's what you have to get to before then, we finally bit on the internet trend. We posted the picture of the old Sens logo with who is the first player you think of when you see this. And when I say old Sens logo, I thought it'd be fun to put the worst objectively in the mix. So it's the one that actually says Sens. You saw it on that black uniform from 2008 until 2011 when they finally brought back the O. Now they bring back the 2D. So as Sens fans are so happy with how the branding's gone, Parley, we had to go back to the worst. And what player comes to mind when you see that absurd spelling of Sens? What's hilarious is my mind, for some reason, goes like kind of pans up for this player. And uh, he's wearing those old white Reebok pumps that are barely tied up. His ankles are not moving that quickly. And as you pan up, you get to Alex Kovalev. I feel like every time you Google this guy, that's the first picture that pops up for some reason. Uh, I mean, we've joked about it in the past when we're going through players, uh, ranking different things as we've kind of dove into the depths of anything possible to talk about since COVID started. Alex Kovalev's kind of a weird name when you bring up Senators. But uh, yeah, he's for some reason the one I picture. And uh, what's funny is... I mean, when you Googled it, I feel like that's the first guy that pops up. New head coach, Kovalev. Uh, that's pretty sweet. It'd be interesting to see uh, Kovalev, though, giving a guy a hard time uh, being lazy on the back check. He took over for Mike Keenan, didn't he, in Kulun oh, wow. Red Star? Yeah, it's the team in China in the KHL. So it's pretty in- interesting because Keenan famously was the coach who left Kovalev out for that five-minute shift in New York. Oh, oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's hilarious. What a what a weird uh, small world this hockey community is. But Kovalev's a good one because, yeah, I definitely see him in that Sens jersey. But the first guy I thought of, and I don't know why, it's kind of random. He was only there for the one season with that jersey. Antoine Vermette is the first guy I thought of. And I thought of him because, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when they were wearing those god-awful jerseys, they were trying to they were trying to change things up. Obviously, a rebrand. They're trying to change the culture. They're trying to change everything. And they were on a massive, massive losing streak. And I think it was Vermette, Smith, Kelly, Pajot, and maybe another guy. They all decided they were going to grow mustaches together, and they weren't going to shave the mustaches off until they snapped the losing streak. I think they went on to lose like another four games and they just gave up because uh, it wasn't going too well and, and they didn't like the mustaches. But that was the first guy I thought of because I remember him in a scrum telling uh, everyone about this whole mustache theory and the bad mustaches and bad jerseys and losing teams, not a good combo. No, and those teams didn't win too much. They obviously got off that hot start in 08 and then after that it was all downhill. So for me, it's a guy who only played for the Senators literally for three seasons. And it was the three seasons they wore that jersey. And if you Google Ryan Shannon, he is uh, he's proudly wearing that black 
Sens jersey in about, I think, three or maybe the first four pictures. So not synonymous with their best days, but uh, definitely memorable going from such a beautiful look in the 2D. And you know what? We can let it go because the 2D is coming back. And we should mention the little amalgamation on the 2D logo or um, the change that has been made. It's a very small one, but it does make a bit of a difference. And the red, you know it from the, the brush of the helmet, but those wings or whatever's coming out of the back, they were red before, now they're gold. So it just makes it nice and uniform there. And if you want your car to be uniform, you got to go to rockauto.com. We've been telling you this, and we're doing it for good reason. We love supporting a family business, especially during challenging times that the world's going through right now. And the thing is, you still have to get places. And they serve for your auto parts, and they do it online. So look, you don't have to go into the store. They have an amazing catalog. It's all ready for you online. And the best part is they literally deliver it right to your door. So no need for unnecessary trips out. Stay at home, stay safe, but still be able to fix up your car. They literally have everything. You need new carpet, check, they got it. Tail lamps, motor oil, engine control modules. You have to see it for yourself. Just go look at their unique, remarkably easy to navigate catalog, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Look, why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? It does not make sense. What makes dollars and saves you dollars is when you go to rockauto.com. Just go right now. And you can look at all the parts available for your car or truck. All we ask is that you write the locked on in their how do you hear about us box. That way they'll know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, guys, I'm getting absolutely carved on Twitter at send central. We always post out. Little snippets. We don't say that it's for the podcast, but we like crowdsourcing, finding out what you, the listener, what the Twitter follower, what you guys are thinking. So we're all kind of on the same page, or we can argue as well. So we tweeted out today, how would you rank all Sens left-wingers by potential in the organization into the following tiers? Franchise, top six, top nine, NHL depth, and then AHL depth. Now, I'll go out there, hand up. I wrote franchise. Let's make that right off the bat clear. It's elite. You're looking yeah. at the Crosbys, the Malkins, the Drysidles, the McDavid's, the Canes. Like, okay, hey, time out though. You just went through four players, and two of them play for like they're only play for two teams. How can you have two franchise players? I think it literally means your franchise's best player. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's such a dicky term. Anyways, I'm getting torched for it. We're also getting torched because I forgot. We listed out all the players who we're considering left-wingers. We're going to get into all the names. Forgot to put Formington's name. Uh, forgot to put Gruden's name. Friend of the show. It's just a complete disaster. But we're going to make up for it right here on the Locked On Senders podcast. And let's get this AHL depth out of the way right off the bat. Parley, who's in that final fifth category for you? I think there's a couple names for me that are going to fit into this. And it I think there's only two that are going to fit into this because I'm looking at this as exclusively this type of player. And I think for me, it's Morgan Klimchuk and uh, Carcone. How about me you? Too. I got the same there. I thought that both of them had good depth roles. Carcone, I thought it was really um, instrumental in helping Formanton move along, especially on the mm-hmm. PK. 
But yeah, they're nothing more than Belleville depth for me as well. Pillar, I'm assuming that it's a clean sweep there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, these guys uh, like Klimchuk, he he has a incredible amount of AHL experience. Like he was in Stockton for like four or five seasons. So he's been a, a long time AHL guy and that's fine. You know, like you need these guys in your system to help support the prospects while they're going through the American Hockey League. So you need guys like this, and that's exactly where they're meant to be, and that's where they should stay. That's not a knock on these guys, because literally the first word that comes to mind when I think of a player like that is, he's a pro. Like, he's finding a job out of it. He's trying to stay professional as a hockey player. To me, that just means he's a pro, not a knock on these guys. No, not at all. But now let's go to where you go from pro to making some big bucks. And talk, talk about taking the long way there. Nick Paul. Like, this guy played for the Binghamton Senators. Let that sink in. Forget Belleville. This guy was a part of bingo back in the day. For me, he's in that next tier, that fringe NHLer. But if they keep working every day, they can make themselves into an everyday NHL. Or maybe he won't play up the lineup very much. And for me, once you get into top nine, that's guys who, with an injury or two, they can play a top six role and with the right yeah. guys could, could succeed up there. But they're not going to carry a line in a top six spot. But then when you get below the top nine in this category i have nick paul and i have my matthew pecca i almost said mike pecca his dad former <laughs> nhler but matthew pecca similar players nick paul obviously a bit bigger a bit lankier but both guys who are hard on the forecheck can use their feet although maybe paul isn't the fastest guy but he does look like he's he's moving his feet out there so just energy players that i think um can make themselves everyday nhlers I'll, yeah, I'll hop in there and just say the one thing that Nick Paul has going for him is it's crazy to think you just mentioned that he played for the Binghamton Senators, but this guy's still only 25 years old, and I feel like we've been talking about him for forever. I mean, he's still got some good professional years left in him. That yeah, you're right. I think if he gets if you get a healthy season out of this guy, I mean, he played 56 NHL games this year, and was a goal shy of 10 goals. I mean, if you throw this guy at six foot three, two nineteen, and he, like you mentioned, has some energy there, you know, he's going to work for you once he gets going a little bit. So I have no problem calling this guy a fringe NHLer. I would absolutely put him right there. And again, go to Matthew Pekka. Um, not really <laughs> sample size much on him, but, uh, I think, yeah, I would put him in the same category. He's almost one of those guys that you would call, um, Maybe a bit of a buzzsaw out there. Just kind of flies around, and uh, if he gets going, he'll put some points up. But either way, you're going to get some. Uh, you're going to get a, a few uh, high-paced minutes out of him. I guess I would say. Yeah, guys, I've got Nick Paul there too. I think that's a great spot for him. Uh, I, I omitted uh, Matthew Pekka since he's not signed for next season, and I don't anticipate the Senators uh, bringing him back. Wow, the but, disrespect. <laughs> um, but like Nick Paul, like every single year since 2015, he's split between the NHL and the AHL. So he's had a grind, and he's had that carrot dangling in his face for half a decade. And you know what? He... He got humbled a bit, I think, and now he's understood that he's not going to be a guy that racks up points like crazy, but he needs to, like you guys said, use that frame and bring some energy on the fourth line. I think he can be a good part of uh, this Senators team on a fourth line role for at least a couple more years to come. Now we got to get into the exciting stuff, guys who we think will make an impact and I'm really curious to see how you guys sorted out the next two categories. I don't think we're uh, so going to surprise anyone by saying our number one category is a player all by himself. But let's start off with you, Pilsy, in your third category. That is a top nine 
forward? So I've got four four players here. Do you want me to list them all or go through one by one and you'll uh, dispute? or Hit us with one by one. All right, let's do it. Well, let's start off with my guy, Rudy. Rudy Balsers, I think, is your... It, like, he fits perfectly into a top nine NHL role. And the thing I like uh, best about Balsers, guys, he's such a well-rounded player, and he's so consistent. Like, he's not a guy who... One night you're he's gonna razzle and dazzle you, and you're like, oh my god, Rudolph Balser is amazing. And then the next night he's invisible. Like he just has such a solid game. Um, he's a good net front presence without the puck. Um, he can put the puck in the net when he gets a chance. He was on a 15 game point streak in Belleville, and I kind of picture him being like a responsible winger on a line with maybe a less responsible winger on the opposite side of him. You know what I mean? Because he's going to make up for those mistakes, but also when it comes down to it, he can contribute offensively too. So I think Rudolph Balser is a great top nine guy. And like you said, Ross, this is the category where if a guy goes down with an injury, you can slot them up there for five, 10 games and not worry about it. I think you can definitely do that with Rudy Ballsters. I couldn't agree more because the number one word that comes to mind when I think of Rudy Ballsters is crafty. And I think we're going to look at this in a couple of years and maybe 10, 15 years down the road here and say, yeah, Rudy Ballsters played 600, 750 NHL games because I think he's one of those guys that understands what he needs to do to stay in the lineup and be consistent. So, yeah, if you put him in a top nine role, I can almost see him being like a Clark MacArthur where later down like the that. road, he doesn't really have the uh, the energy or the jump, maybe the uh, fleet of foot potential he has now. And then, you know, he doesn't have the scoring touch, anything like that. But then he turns into more, like you said, a responsible guy. He kind of lays back. He can play defensively. He doesn't mind blocking a shot or two if it means he's going to play next year. You know what I mean? I think he's going to do those sort of things that keep him around. So I definitely see him in a top nine role. But let's look at the NHL right now and say, yeah, if he's put with some talent around him, which the Senators are going to have lots of in the coming years with the draft picks that they have available and the high-end talent available in the drafts, I think that, yeah, with an injury, he can hop up there and with the talent he has kind of finding those soft spots in the offensive zone and the shot and release he has and potential to put the puck in the net and produce, I can definitely see him filling in a role of a top six player, but I agree he belongs in that top nine conversation when you're looking at his career potential as a whole. Yeah, he's 23 years old, so you'd think maybe in the next year he really has to make that jump to an everyday NHLer because he's at the point now where over a point a game in the AHL, 36 and 33, plus 20, but only one goal, three points in 15 NHL games. So are you a tweener or are you going to make the jump? And how about uh, a guy for a player comparable, not him at the end of his career, which is how Sens fans would remember him. But if he turns into a guy like Mikel Bodker and has the career that he had, I'd say that's a, a successful go for a guy like Rudy Balsers. Here, I'll transition into the, the next name who I think all of us have on, on our list in this category is who are you higher on? Rudy Balsers or Philip Schlappick? I'm higher on Balsers just because I think Schlappick has those qualities that Balsers has. He's just not as consistent. And uh, Schlappick is, what, 25 now or 24? He is older than Balsers, though, right? Um, so he has less time. And I just feel like Balsers has already proven that he can be consistent and relied upon much more than Schlappick. Um, I've said it on this pod a couple times. I see Schlappick as a trade trade piece, and that's a guy who I think is going to get squeezed out with uh, all the prospects here. 
and he's better off suited in a different franchise where he can develop in kind of his own uh, space without having so much competition. Yeah, I definitely think I'm higher on Ruby Balsers here than Philip Schlappick because I feel like for the last three season, Phil, seasons, Philip Schlappick has left me wanting more. Yeah, that's fair. 16 goals, not this year, but last only 10 uh, in this previous season, 22 points in 37 games, whereas Ballsters, I mentioned, 36 and 33. So definitely more production. I think Schlappick could probably fit in on the fourth line role better than Ballsters. Just he's a bigger body. He can go in hard on the forecheck, and he likes to do that. And Pilsy, to answer your question, they're the same age. So both 97 birth years. So, oh, okay. yeah, so I mean, the comparables there just on on time ticking away. And if you have two likable like-minded uh, players like those guys, yeah, maybe it's best to, to see what the trade market would be on one of them. Although Philip Schlappick, I mean, I, I was high on him from the World Juniors on. He had such a great career in Charlottetown. So maybe he being one of the Sens prospects that's trending the wrong way. All right, are you, uh, Pilsy, we'll go back to you. So I'm assuming you had Schlappick in that group. Now you said you have two more. This one's tough. I felt bad putting him here, but I think it's it's accurate for now. And that's Vitaly Abramov. Similar to Balsers, he he has a lot of those skills, but he's a lot more inconsistent. But I would say Abramov has a higher ceiling just because of his offensive abilities. Um, Ross, we saw some nights in Belleville where it almost seemed like the offense revolved around Abramov, which is crazy when you think of they had Norris, Batherson, Balsers, all these other talented guys. But Abramov could get really hot some nights. And then other nights, you don't even know if the guy's on the roster. So... I think it's going to be tough for Abramov to put all those pieces together and be consistent. But if he can do that, I think he's a guy that has the offensive ability that he can hop in to a top six role uh, if there's an injury. But again, like Schlappick, I view Abramov as more, a better trade piece and he could bloom a lot better in a, a prospect pool with less competition so he gets more time to shine. I, I don't want them to trade Abramov, but I think... For him to realize his true potential, he he needs a lot more, um, like he's got to be playing top minutes. So I think if he's going to be a top six guy, he's going to be in another franchise. But if he's with the Sens, I could see him playing a great third line role um, after maybe another season or two in Belleville. It made me really happy when Craig Button said he doesn't have to be a boomer bust because he has that competitive edge. Although he's diminutive in size, not the tallest guy, he still plays like, Maybe not a heavyweight, but he, a pesky sense, similar to Parker Kelly or an Alex Formantin, who we'll get to momentarily. But I, I just love his puck skills. His hands are clearly, um, I want to say, elite at the AHL level. Well, how they'll translate, we'll find out. But he, he made defensemen look pretty bad uh, night in and night out in Belleville. So for me, yeah, Vitaly Abramov, he's also in that category. And then tell me if you have this filling out your category here i have two more guys angus crookshank who i don't think we've seen enough of to really have a strong opinion but for me alex formanton's in this top nine group as well um not to say he can't jump up higher but uh i'd rather err on the side of caution because we've seen the speed we've seen the hands start to catch up but they're just i don't know what's holding him back actually but there's just something that i'm just not comfortable putting alex formanton i don't want to put that much pressure on him just yet I see it as almost a uh, an issue that uh, I feel is almost it's a it's a tough comparison, but stick with me here with Evgeny Malkin, where you look at this guy and say you have more talent than half the guys on these raw on this roster. Or obviously it's more from Malkin, 
but it's kind of that mental side of things where he can get distracted when he's out there. If you get him angry early, he's more focused on that sort of thing. And then he'll let somebody else carry the play while he's trying to settle scores. Yep. I I, I definitely hear you on that one. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to mature again. He's a young guy. He's definitely got the foot speed to play at the national league level. It's just, it's going to be interesting to see how he matures, not only on ice, but uh, kind of above the shoulders between the ears as well. So he's definitely a player that I would love to say, nope, he's top six. We took him in the second round. Uh, he, he should be up there. Uh, but, you know, he's got that one tool. Let's see if he can put a couple more together. Based on Parley's response there about the physicality and maybe kind of going over the edge sometimes. Well, Brady Kachuk does that too. So what makes him able to get away with it? Jeez, Brady Kachuk, the reason he can get away with it is because he's got the size and strength and I feel like the the drive uh, to get away with those kind of things. And uh, if if Brady comes at you and you come back at him, you better watch out because he's he's coming back at you way harder than he did the first time. Before we get to Brady, though, I only have one one more guy in this category, and that's Angus Cruikshank because we haven't seen a lot from him. He's still young. I have Formanton in the top six uh, role eventually because his speed is so elite that it puts him in a class in, in the top one of the top classes in the league. In that, you can category. just say he has McDavid like speed. Shout out Kibusha. Exactly, and like when you have one skill that's far and away better than almost everyone else you're playing against that's such an advantage right away. I mean, if you guys watch that Formanton highlight pack, almost all of his goals are on breakaways. Like, it's insane how often he gets breakaways. And then he's he's starting to pick up the rest of his game. And the key thing with Formanton is I think he's going to make a lot of money and a lot of coaches happy with his penalty-killing skills. When you have a guy with that much speed, he's such an asset. He, he's a weapon on a shorthanded unit as opposed to a shutdown guy. Um, power play units are going to have to play so much smarter. They can't be tossing lazy uh, muffin passes across the blue line because one step and Formanton's gone. I think with some time and with the right development, he can be a top six guy for sure. And boys, if we can find a speedy centerman to play with him and Anthony Duclair, that line is going to be just putting pucks in net left, right, and center, and defenders aren't going to have a single chance trying to slow them down tenacity there right like take that aggression out but put it into play you know what i mean if you're going to be that guy that's going to have to like kind of come out of your shell and make it play make it be on a loose puck on the pk i completely agree well parley i'm going to go back to you because it's a player comparable type thing is his ceiling closer to marion gabrick who had a, a ton of speed or is it closer to Andrew Cogliano or Mikel Grabner? Speaking of breakaways, guys who had a million of them but could never really convert. Maybe, okay, Gabrick's a bit of a stretch. How about like yeah. a Martin Havlat? I kind of clung to that when you said Marion Gabrick because he's also, he's almost one of those guys. You hear players that played with Marion Gabrick. Uh, my mind goes to Brandon Prost, who was on Spit and Chicklets talking about playing with a guy like that in his prime. And he said, it looked so effortless. And I think that that's one thing that Alex Formanton has going for him. You almost get used to it, but then it almost looks like he's in fast forward once he gets going. So I can see him, who knows, one day if he puts it all together, being Marion Gabrick. But yeah, I think a Michael Michael Grabner, who, hey, has played some top six minutes in his career. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. On the 2015 Leafs. 
yeah, those are some fair comparables, though, I would say. Hopefully, a Marion Gabrick. Wouldn't that be fun? You know what? I don't think Formanton has the... And I don't think he will be able to put a full, complete game like Havlad or Gabrick. But Grabner, he's exactly what we just talked about. He, he's a great penalty killer. Like, when he when he was buzzing, like, with the Devils and even the Coyotes a couple uh, seasons. So... I feel like that's a guy that Alex Formanton uh, really compares nicely with. And you know what? It, he's going to be within the 30 to 50 point range. And I think that's that's perfect. Yeah, I think the Sens would be happy to spend a second round pick on a guy that turns out to be Mikel Grabner. And I'd say that's at the low to mid end of what um, you, you'd love to see out of a guy like Alex Formanton. But let's go to a guy who's already elite. Is he franchise? Sure, we can pick at straws. But Brady Kachuk... Already the Sens leader in points in a season uh, this past year, which although there are only eight teams that didn't have a player to reach 50 points and the Sens were one of them, still nice to lead your own team in points. But Parley, he does so much more than that. He absolutely does. Uh, I think it's so important for NHL franchises to look at what is competitive in the league and what's more competitive than winning a Stanley Cup. And when the Washington Capitals won a Stanley Cup, they went out and took Brady Kachuk. The Senators did the next year with fourth overall pick when there was a super skilled Philip Zadina still on the board. I think you look at a guy like Tom Wilson and on the that Capitals team and say, those are a dime. Like, you cannot find those guys. And when they come available, they are so important to your team. They run what happens on the ice each and every night. You can run them out there for 25 minutes, and they're going to control what happens. Intimidation, skill. They know what they have to do. Go to the front on that and try and knock them out of the way. You're not going to be able to do it, and you're not going to be able to play the game you want to because they're out there policing it. I think they're so important to have on a team because they're so hard to find. There's maybe three or four of them out there, and I think Brady Kachuk one day will be the best of them all. Yeah, and Ross, I think where there's probably some qualms with you saying franchise is, in our minds, Brady Kachuk is our franchise guy because he does all the things right. And I think when a lot of people think of franchise guy, they're expecting, like, you better be top five in points at a consistent basis. Brady Kachuk's not going to do that. I honestly would be shocked if he ever gets over 100 points or even 80, like even a point-per-game guy, because that's not what his game is about. His game is about getting other guys involved. Um, He's honestly even like an agitator, too, at a high level, though. And any line that had Brady Kachuk on it last year was the Sens' top line. <laughs> like, you could have put him with uh, Nick Paul and Balsers, and that's that's the top line because he drives the force of the game and he's the heart and soul of this team. So, in a sense, yes, he is a franchise guy, but I think in a general term, he's not going to put up those points that franchise guys uh, normally would, but you can pencil Brady Kachuk in uh, as your top or second line left winger, depending on how the, the draft goes and the future goes for the Sens for a long time, especially when he's, when he signs that contract, his extension, that's going to be one of the happiest days in, uh, in at least our recent Sens history. So can't wait for that. And yeah, easily elite, elite left winger, Brady Kachuk. Yeah. Well, just the fact that Brady Kachuk can officially sign that extension now has me on pins and needles. We'll keep you up to date every step of the way with that and everything else in Sensland. We're actually going to announce we're going up to four episodes a week for now. We're going to be covering the return to play as much as we can as that keeps going, following all the Sens abroad. And this week, in your immediate future, we've got the center depth chart on Wednesday. Right wingers 
on Friday, and our bonus Send Central draft rankings continue on Saturday. So a little weekend content there for you as well. For Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast. We've got your team every day.